Hello and welcome to According to John. Today we're going to be on episode 18, The Days of Noah by Martin DeHaan. Today's title is Three Sins of Sodom. Let's get to it. Approximately 4,000 years of human history elapsed between the record of man's fall in the Garden of Eden and the coming of man's Redeemer, Jesus Christ. 39 books of the Old Testament describe the record of fallen man up until a few hundred years before the birth of the Savior. Shortly after the fall, when God pronounced a curse upon the serpent, he announced a struggle between the seed of the woman, Christ, and the serpent, the devil. This announcement contained two promises, one of which was fulfilled over 1,900 years ago, the other still unfulfilled and lying in the future. The promise was, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 Note well the two bruisings here. The bruising of the heel of the seed of the woman and the bruising of the head of the serpent. The bruising of the Savior's heel was literally fulfilled on the cross of Calvary some 1,900 years ago. This is history. But the final crushing of the serpent's head still lies in the future. We have in this announcement by God a clear promise of the two comings of Christ, the first coming when his heel would be bruised by Satan, and the second coming when he will crush the head of the serpent. Unless we distinguish between these two comings of Christ, the Bible becomes a book of confusion instead of divine revelation. It was failure to differentiate the first advent from the second, which caused all the doubt and perplexity in the minds of Jesus' disciples. They had expected only one coming in power and victory, at which time he would deliver the nation of Israel and set up his glorious kingdom when the serpent's head would be crushed. This misunderstanding of the two comings of the Messiah prompted them again and again to expect Jesus to declare himself an usher in the kingdom. And then he informs them that instead of the final victory over the serpent, the serpent would apparently defeat the seed of the woman. He tells them of the cross, of his rejection which lay ahead, and that he would soon leave them without fulfilling the hopes of his victorious reign. When they heard this, they were exceedingly sad and disappointed, and many of his disciples left him. To those who remained with him, however, he gave a glorious revelation. He was going away, to be sure, but he was also coming again. Then all their kingdom hopes would be fulfilled to the letter. This was indeed good news, and so they began to ask him for more details. They wanted to know when he would return. In response to their request, what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? He referred them, among many other signs, to two different periods of history, the days of Noah and the days of Lot. He seems to say, study the record of conditions before the flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when conditions prevailing at that time are repeated, then know that it is near. The record of the days of Noah is found in Genesis chapters 4, 5, and 6 and is referred to by Jesus in Matthew 24. The record of the days of Lot is briefly recorded in Genesis 19 and is referred to by Jesus in Luke 17. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also... As it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed, Luke seventeen twenty six through 30. 
Before looking at the details of these two periods of history, we want to point out the general behavior of the people in those days. Read those verses again carefully. The first impression one receives is that it was an age of complete indifference to spiritual things. It was a materialistic age when men were occupied wholly with temporal things but without regard for the future. With judgment impending, wickedness and violence running wild, people went right on living as though there were no God in heaven. It was business as usual. They ate, drank, married, built homes, did business, bought and sold, planted and harvested, without a thought of judgment, heeding not the impassioned plea of Enoch, the preacher of judgment, and Noah, the preacher of righteousness. In studying the days before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, we are amazed at the striking similarity between those days and our own time. Not only are the moral conditions similar, but economically they are the same. The prophet Ezekiel throws added light on the conditions in Lot's day, which is most interesting. He has three more characteristics of those days. He is pronouncing judgment on Jerusalem because they had copied the sins of Sodom, and he says, As I live, says the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hast not done, she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of the sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Ezekiel sixteen forty-eight and 49. In the light of Jesus' words concerning the days of Lot in this present age, these words are truly arresting. Notice the three sins of Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. These are called sins of Sodom. We readily agree that pride is sin, but why should fullness of bread and an abundance of leisure be called sins? The answer lies in the abuse of these things and not in their use. Things may be blessings when properly used and become positive sins when they are abused. The first sin of Sodom that is mentioned is pride, which is an expression of self-sufficiency. It is taking credit for things we receive by grace. Pride denies God the proper recognition as the author and giver of all blessings and gifts. Men pride themselves in their physical achievements when all their strength is the gift of God. Men pride themselves in their wisdom and intellectual powers as though they are responsible for their own brains. Yet, whether a person be an intellectual giant or a moron is neither merit nor fault of his. It was not the result of his choice or effort. He was born that way. He had no voice in the matter. Your physical and mental stature is the result of genetics at the moment of conception. And while faculties may be developed or neglected, no more can be produced than that which was present at conception and birth. Well may we heed the words of Paul. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hast not received it. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. We are what we are because of influences over which we had absolutely no control and in which we were not consulted. Your color, nationality, physical stature, mental capacity, color of eyes, temperament, emotional makeup, these and all other individual characteristics were thrust upon you and determined for you before you were born. People take pride in their family tree and point to the famous names in their ancestry as though they were the cause of their enviable origin and had chosen those noble ancestors themselves, whereas they were the wholly passive descendants of parents who determined beforehand what their offspring should be. Whatever we are by birth is not by our choice, but by influences beyond our control. Yet man will strut and boast like a King Nebuchadnezzar, saying, 
Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of thy kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Daniel 4.30. But remember, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16.18. These words, you recall, were fulfilled when the haughty king was reduced to the level of a beast. It was also the cause of the fall and destruction of Sodom. When man takes credit for things which belong to God, one may surely expect a great fall. Pride may therefore be defined as taking credit for things which belong to God. It is godlessness, robbing God of the honor due his name, failure to recognize God as the giver of all things. Pride is ungodliness, and this was not only the sin of Sodom, but also the sin of Noah's day, as Enoch the preacher so graphically describes. Behold, the Lord cometh to execute judgment upon all that are ungodly, of all their ungodly deeds, ungodly committed, and hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken, Jude 14 and 15. Pride is ungodliness. It is taking God's honor upon oneself. It is robbing God of proper recognition for everything we are and have. It is forgetting God and ruling him out of his universe. Apply this description of the days of Noah and Lot to the days in which we are living, and the words of our Lord come with terrific impact. As it was then, it shall be again. Today is indeed the age of unashamed pride. Man has forgotten God almost entirely in this technological, automated, mechanical, nuclear age. He boasts of his achievements as though he himself created the atom and invented the laws governing its reactions and placed within matter by his own wisdom the energy which manifests itself in light and heat, motion and radiation, whereas he, under God, is only permitted to discover that which was there all the time. Today, with the discovery of atomic energy and the secret of the release of nuclear power, man is faced with the greatest crisis in history. Man has in his hand the powers of destruction so great that his earth could be destroyed in a split second just by one error, one mistake, one so-called accident in the race for atomic supremacy. All it needs is some madman to push the button and the world would blow up. Amid all these frightening threats of intercontinental missiles and ballistic engines of war, orbiting satellites and interplanetary rockets, man refuses to acknowledge the creator. Man prates about a timetable and promises to put a man on the moon by 1970. He has set future dates for reaching Venus, Mars, and ultimately the very limits of space. But he never imagines for a moment there is a God in heaven who is to be reckoned with. Man does not consider what God's timetable calls for what God will do between now and 1970 when man plans to settle on the moon. What else but unashamed human pride is this, that man still dreams of settling the problem of war by his own plans and devices? What else but unabashed haughtiness in the dream of world peace without the prince of peace? For millennials, man has striven to bring in the golden age, the ideal utopia, by the scheming of the nations. Yet after these millenniums, we are farther from peace than ever and tottering on the brink of total destruction. God is not recognized and man's pride prevents him from admitting he has reached an impasse and needs higher help. Still, it is God himself who is preventing man from utterly destroying himself. How significant, therefore, that Ezekiel places at the head of the list of the three sins of Sodom the sin of pride. How fittingly descriptive and suggestive the words of David concerning his dispensation is given in Psalm 2. It is a description of the pride of the nations unwilling to recognize God. Why do the heathen, the nations, rage? 
and that people imagine a vain thing, Psalm 2.1. This is David's question. Why is the world in a mess that it is in? And the answer is pride. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Psalm 2, 2 through 3. In other words, let us get rid of God. Let us free ourselves from his restraints. Russia already has renounced all faith in God, while other nations who still have not openly renounced faith in God are nevertheless living as though God did not exist. Prayers to God are prohibited and the word of God is being banned from our schools on the premise that our children must be protected from the dangerous effects of religion and the truth of God. But as judgment fell in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, so God will not always remain silent, but will utter his voice in judgment. Today, God is laughing at man's proud and haughty rantings, but one of these days the words of David will come to pass. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure, Psalm 2, 5. And answer, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, Psalm 2, 6. God's long-suffering may wait as in the days of Noah, but soon God will say, My spirit shall not always strive with man, Genesis 6, 3. And he who said he would come will come and will not tarry, Hebrews 10, 37. Be ye therefore ready. Guys, I hope and pray as usual and as always. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you fix that and you fix it today. Pride keeps us from God. Pride keeps us from realizing and understanding that we need a Savior. And the only Savior we have is Jesus Christ. May today be the day that you believe unto Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. May today be the day that you share Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. One day, Christ will return again. Are you ready? Hey guys, I hope this has helped. If it has, please like, share, subscribe, and follow. And until next week, God bless.